Welcome to Set Sing. Hello, Vishran. Can you please speak about the topic, how do I get free of suffering? I think it's uh, not a bad idea to actually get a definition of what suffering is first. You see, quite often people think that uh, discomfort or pain is suffering but discomfort is discomfort pain is pain our suffering commences when we resist discomfort or we resist pain and so we've got to look at well what actually is suffering if you don't want to suffer don't resist that's way easier said than done but that's the bottom line. If we suffer, it's because we are resisting life in some way. We're resisting something that's not going our way, that we'd like to be different than how it is. We're addictively demanding something to be in some way different. And in that addictive demand, there is suffering because we're in resistance. And so, we live in a society that suffers because we're all programmed to resist life. It's actually part of survival. It's a part of uh, the survival mechanism of the mind to resist, to try to survive. But it doesn't need to be so. Because we're intelligent, we can actually learn to accept life as it is rather than resist life as it is but that's up to us to go against our original programming is pretty difficult but it's absolutely possible you think about it pain is just pain discomfort is just discomfort suffering only occurs when we resist those things and if we don't resist we don't suffer and so the question, how do I stop suffering? Stop resisting. Life is going to be the way life is. Things aren't going to go your way all the time. You are going to lose practically everything you ever have because we eventually die. If we resist, we suffer. If we accept life as it is, if we trust life, that what's happening is supposed to be happening, otherwise it wouldn't be happening. If we can live in trust, there is no more suffering. There may still be pain. There may still be discomfort. But the suffering is over because we're not resisting anymore. So you have to have a look at your process, at how your mind is operating. Are you resisting or are you in acceptance of life? Are you making things okay or are you making them not okay? And of course, you're responsible for that. Nobody's doing that to you. You create your thoughts. Nobody creates them for you. And so your reality, in fact, 
is created by you and the way you think. Life is just the way it is. If you can trust that life is the way it is and things are happening the way they're meant to be, you can have a pretty cruisy life, even though you might lose everything. But if you resist, wow, you are going to suffer. That's a fact. Acceptance is the key to having a happy life. Acceptance of what is as it's occurring. Then we can stay cool. Then we don't get uptight. It's just what is. The good, the bad and the ugly is just what is. And this is a beautiful way to live with this understanding and operating like this. Have a look at what happens inside of you when you go into disagreement with life, disagreement with people, disagreement with situations. What actually happens inside of you? Witness your own mind and see. See what it's up to. In the witnessing, we get to see that we create our own reality and that we don't need to resist. We can find ways to accept. That does not make us impotent. We can still change things from a place of acceptance because really acceptance is a place of openness. We can still make a difference in the world from a place of acceptance. We don't have to go into resistance inside ourselves to make changes. That might be what you believe, but it's not true. We can do everything from openness. We can do everything from non-resistance. And this is the way of the heart. The way of non-resistance. This is the way of love. Because this is how we perceive love, when we're open. And we're open when we're not resisting life. All resistance, all defense systems, they're in the way of us perceiving the most beautiful thing that's here, love. And so the endeavor for the seeker is not just to find themselves as truth, but it's to teach the mind to stop resisting life. <laughs> Any questions? Any statements, any challenges to this teaching today? The first question, is it actually possible to never suffer again? Heck yeah. <laughs> if you're not resisting life, you're not suffering. Doesn't mean, and I have to categorise it, you do not, it does not mean you mightn't feel pain because you probably will. It doesn't mean you won't feel discomfort because you probably will, but you're not resisting, so you're not suffering. To learn to not resist takes a fair bit because we're programmed to resist, both cautiously and uh, primarily through our genetics. But because we're intelligent, we can learn to accept life as it is. We can learn to not resist. We can learn to support the way of the heart, which is the path of non-resistance.
but that's up to you. The following question is from a viewer. Is it true that what we resist persists? Persists. Is that what's the question? Persists? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't see any point in resisting. I really don't. I got to look around myself when I was a teenager, my late teens. I saw that so many people were suffering and there wasn't anything happening. They were just turning themselves inside their own minds into victims of situations, victims of other people, victims of themselves. They were, turning, they were going into resistance against what is instead of accepting what is. And it was way back then that I decided that I wasn't ever going to support victim-oriented thinking in myself. And I wasn't ever going to support worry in myself or procrastination, another form of resistance, because there's no positive outcome to it. There's nothing to it except you suffer. Stop it. You have the power. Next, we have Panit who'd like to ask a question. Panit. Hi, Vishant. Uh, can you hear me? I can, yes. Is it Panit or Prakash? Uh, Panit. That's my first name. Okay, Panit. Uh, is there a place for facial hair in a spiritual journey? Is there a place for facial facial hair? <laughs> I love your question. I I really don't know. The spiritual journey has nothing to do with the body. It has everything to do with going inside and finding yourself as pure awareness or truth. And truth doesn't have facial hair. <laughs> so, so, but neither does love. But the body does. But the good news is we are pure awareness and we are not the body and we are not the mind. Before the body and mind, we are. We already are before the mind even begins. We are that that is purely aware of everything. That is consciousness. And it doesn't necessarily have any facial hair. <laughs> Why do you ask this question? It's just that everybody who's on the path seems to have like long beard and uh, long <laughs> hair. So I was just wondering if it, that ties into some kind of like a spiritual practice of being tolerant <laughs> of this hair and living with the discomfort or anything like that. I really don't know. I prefer to keep the hair here short. That way I don't have to do much to it, you know. And the beard's recently trimmed as well because I'm not big on uh, having to care for it. It's like you have long hair and it takes a lot of maintenance. It's much easier to have short hair. But this okay. is simply pragmatic. Okay, got it. My, my teacher, Osho Rajneesh, had very long beard. Uh, he didn't have much hair. He'd lost it. He got went bald. But he had a very long beard, and he was very beautiful to look at. But I imagine having a long beard would have been reasonably high maintenance. Because at some stages, I have had long beards, and they take a fair bit of work, you know? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so I, I don't think it is ho I don't think it's holy to have 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 a lot of hair on your face. I don't think it's not holy either, because I really don't think there's anything that's holy. Okay. Spirituality is not holy. Just finding yourself as truth is reality. What we're looking for as spiritual seekers is what's real, reality. It's not holy. It's just what we are, which happens to be everything. And when awareness turns onto itself, we discover that to be true, that we are everything and nothing. And if we're surrendered enough, if we're open enough, we perceive love. And that love is not holy either. It's always here. It's just that for a lot of people, they don't perceive it because they're too closed. That's all. And so as a reality teacher, I teach people how to open up so they can perceive love. I teach people how to turn awareness onto itself so they can find themselves as truth. But to me, this is just reality. What's not real is the constant dreaming that people do, the constant thinking they do. You know, <laughs> that's what's not real. As a matter of fact, just about everything's real except what you think. <laughs> what do you reckon, Pranit? Uh, yeah, makes sense. Uh... Can I ask you a follow-up question? Sure. So uh, last time I talked to you, uh, you told me to just sit and try practicing that. So I've been trying to just sit and not do anything. I was just uh -huh. wondering if if there is a, a minimum amount of time that you would suggest or like a, a duration of time that I should continue doing that or is there a value in it? Okay. So now that you've got to sitting, Watch your mind. Just be the witness of your mind. And what will happen is as you sit and you watch the mind, you'll start to get distance from your mind. You'll start to see it as something separate. You're moving more towards being the pure awareness of it than you are being in the dream of it. And so sitting is lovely. Now watch the mind. Just witness the mind as though you're watching someone else's mind without judgment. And you'll find you get detached more and more and more, and you'll find more and more and more peace as more and more detachment occurs. Try that, cool. Nick. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. Thanks. Good to talk to you. The next question has been written by a viewer. Did you know to not resist and stop suffering in your previous lives? Yes. This is one of the things that the West doesn't get so much. We've done this before. And whatever merit or whatever practices that we've been involved in in the past, good or bad, can come through to the next life. And I remember doing this many lives. Yes. Do you always know when you are suffering? <laughs> Some people don't know. They're, they're, they're so used to suffering, they don't even realize they're suffering. They're so used to it. It's such a pattern. They don't even recognize that they're suffering. <laughs> if I was to suffer, I would definitely know because I don't suffer. 
But if you're suffering all the time because you're constantly resisting life from the time you get up until the time you go to bed, you probably don't even notice you're suffering. I, I got to be quite still when I was young. I got to be left alone uh, for long periods of time. And I got to watch my own mind and see what it was doing, what it was up to, and how people created the mess in themselves by overthinking everything, by worrying, by just problem solving constantly. The present moment is quite beautiful until you bring something into it that's not. A negative thought, maybe. A problem, maybe. Worry, maybe. But you're doing that. Life is just the way life is. You create your reality. So do you think it is a human pattern to be comfortable in suffering? Unfortunately, I think it is, yes. And when people suffer a lot because of their own resistance, they need to find relief from that from time to time. So they get into overeating, they get into drugs, they get into alcohol, they get into gambling, they get into gaming, they get into anything. They get into religion, they get into anything that will take them away from the moment. Because in the moment, they're suffering because they're resisting life. And so we look at different religions. Some religions sell hope of a future. Well, that is just an opiate that takes you away from the moment. And that's popular because people are suffering in the moment because they're resisting life. But really, the future doesn't exist. Hope's rubbish. There is only now. And it is always now. And if you live in the future now, these projections now, you'll be living in them later because it'll be your habit. And you'll miss these beautiful moments that are here now because you're thinking about later, projecting later, postponing till later. That's a certain craziness if you ask me. The following question is from a viewer. Is a cloudy mind or a non-clear mind a symptom of suffering? It's a symptom of a lot of different things, mostly procrastination. And we look at how do we get an unclear mind? Well, all you've got to do is overthink anything. Worry, procrastination, problem solving, anything that keeps us locked in our minds creates a density of energy, which kills our clarity. And so the best thing we can possibly do is have awareness on reality, have awareness with what is real rather than what is not, which is what we're thinking. And so anything that takes you out, meditation is being aware of what's real. That's all it is. And the only thing that's not real is this. I love meditation. And meditation just means being present to real. I, I love it. It's awesome. It is not so pleasant to be present to what you're thinking because we've all been programmed at school to be problem solvers. Where's the joy in that, really? What about just being in life and celebrating life by being present to what is real, life itself?
<laughs> the next question has been written by Banu on YouTube. There was an Indian guru named Guruji Bade Mandir Delhi who has shown Om light emitting from his body to some of his devotees. What is its significance according to you? Okay. So when someone wakes up, they there's an energy form produced. It's called a Buddha field. And it's a form of energy that emulates from here and goes out, outward. And it can be perceived by those who are sensitive enough to perceive it. Now, this energy form in someone who's awake can also involve a great deal of energy going through the body. And that energy going through the body can be perceived by some as light. It's just energy. The truth is, what does it appear in? What does the energy that's appearing appear in? What is its background? And for the seeker, we can get caught very easily in light. We can get very caught in all sorts of spiritual phenomena. We can get caught in analyzing our minds. But really, what is it all appearing in? What is this that is simply aware of all of this, whether it's light or darkness? What is this that's aware? Getting caught in the magic or the siddhis around spirituality is a trap. Not that people who are awake won't use those things to help people by lifting them, by clearing them, by lighting them up. But to actually be just interested in those is a trap. What are they appearing in? What is the background? What's aware of them? This is best. The next question is from a viewer. Some meditations are to watch internal talk and imagination. Isn't that then a meditation or awareness on something that is, quote, not real? That's true. So there's different types of meditation. One is just watching the breath, for instance, say, which is real because the breath happens, it comes in, it goes out. You're watching something that's real and you're actually abandoning the mind to do that. You're abandoning thought to do that. And that teaches you to be present to what's real. Another methodology is to watch the mind, to be the witness of the mind. And in being the witness to the mind, you're developing a distance from the mind. So you're getting to be detached from the mind. And in that detachment, you start to find that you are the witness, that you are that that's purely aware of the mind and that the mind actually has nothing to do with you and never ever had anything to do with you. The same as the body has nothing to do with you. You are that that is aware of this space suit and its onboard computer. And so there's different methodologies that will take you to different places. It is lovely to be present to reality because living in your head is not good. It's, we were not programmed to be happy. We were programmed to be problem solvers, efficient little machines. Being present to what is real 
is a huge advantage. It's nice. Watching the mind, being the witness of the mind, allows you to start finding yourself as pure awareness. It's a methodology to enlightenment, the same as self-inquiry is. So there's different methodologies. And if you're with a spiritual teacher, they'll offer these different different methods to find yourself as truth. Because it's not about anything to do with the mind or the body, really. It's about what's aware of it. Who are you really? What are you really? And then when you start finding awareness on awareness, wow, then you also discover that there's nobody here. And there never was just a figment of the imagination of the mind that thought it was a something. Not a reality. Next, Kalimba would like to ask a question. Hi, Kalimba. Hi, Bertrand. How are you going? On top of the world, Kalimba. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else, would you? <laughs> well, anywhere you are really is on top of the world, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> A question about meditation, because I've done a fair bit over the years and there's been different suggestions made. Watching the breath is one of the classical ones. And if you pass in the meditation that I do sometimes at Spearwood and places like that, watching the breath is a good thing to focus on. Somebody else earlier said that you think thoughts are happening all the time. So watch your thoughts. And if you watch them closely, you will notice there's actually a gap between your thoughts. So just keep watching. And then after a while, start focusing on the gaps rather than the thoughts. And you'll find that the gaps get bigger. And the final different one is the mindfulness that Chimmy retreats um, in bailing up. I started meditating with my eyes closed, which I always have. And he said, no, meditate with your eyes open. If you close your eyes off and you go to sleep when you want to take meditation into the world you have your eyes open so they teach meditation with open eyes so what's your comment on those things for the first 10 years of doing uh washing the breath which was my methodology also i i sat with my eyes open at a 45 degree angle to the ground to stay awake right <laughs> and i said with a in a half lotus position without a back support which also kept me awake i found that in the early days shutting my eyes i'd just go into sleep and dream but if i kept them open at that 45 degree angle i was able to stay with my breath right thank you that clarifies it thank you very much <laughs> nice to talk to you Quimble. and you matt The next question comes from a viewer on YouTube. Hello, I'm struggling with some health issues that have been going on for almost three months. What do you recommend in order to heal this? Thank you. Acceptance. <laughs> I've been struggling with health, uh, health issues for the last uh, three months or so. I think it's two months and three weeks actually. I came off a motorbike uh, and broke my collarbone and uh, four of my ribs. 
And it has been one heck of a journey because for the first uh, a month and a half, two months, even breathing was painful, let alone getting up, moving around. But acceptance, it works. You just accept what is. You don't, you don't complain to yourself. You don't complain to others. You just accept it. Whatever the illness is, whether it's physical or mental, you accept. In acceptance, we have killed suffering. We may still have pain. So every time I got up, I hurt. But I wasn't resisting it. I wasn't creating suffering by resisting the pain. And that's the thing. When we can learn to accept life as it is or our illnesses as they are, whatever is there as it is, we stop suffering. And our life becomes more beautiful. It's up to you because you're the one who is going to supply the acceptance or the resistance, not the world. You do it. And so when I take a deep breath now, just a little bit of pain. It's pretty good. It's getting much better. And uh, I can uh, walk around reasonably well without pain. I can even get back on my motorcycle and ride for a while. Not long, but a while before it starts hurting. <laughs> this is the world we live in. Our bodies, our spacesuits are, are fragile. And uh, eventually they're going to die. That's what it is. If we can accept the process... Life can be pretty cool. Next question. Is it sometimes better to let people suffer and be where they're at in life in order for them to grow and learn from their experience? <laughs> you mean you have a choice <laughs> whether you let people suffer or not? I think that People's suffering is done by them, not by your choices. So who lets who suffer? I mean, you're the one that creates your suffering. No one can let me suffer. I'm just I'm not going. <laughs> it's your choice to suffer because you're the one supplying the resistance or the non-resistance. And so when I see people suffering, there's not much I can do about it. I know they're creating it. It's what is. It's their karma. I might, I could possibly tell them that they could accept life, but that's their choice too. We all create our own reality. I see suffering every time I look at human beings because we live in a society that resists life while pretending to be happy. <laughs> People thinking they'll be happy later when they get something different, when things change. Rubbish is only now. The next question is from a viewer. How do I know if I'm tolerating something versus accepting? Yeah, good question. Tolerating is still suffering. If you're in acceptance, the story has gone. The drama has gone. If you're in complete acceptance, it's over. If you're tolerating, that's a form of resistance. You're still suffering and you're waiting for something, you're suffering. You haven't hit full acceptance. You may have hit partial acceptance, but you haven't hit full acceptance. Because with full acceptance, 
the story is gone. The drama is gone. Oh, there may still be pain. Acceptance doesn't get rid of pain. It gets, it gets rid of the suffering because it gets rid of the resistance to pain. The next question has been written by George on YouTube. As I become more meditative, I'm slowly losing interest in daily activities that I used to partake in. I feel very bored and that boredom leads me to distraction and away from meditation. Please comment. Yeah. Look, I love meditation, being present to what is real, because if you're present to what is real, you don't get bored. You only get bored if you're still in your head comparing things. And so maybe you need to examine what boredom is and then, and then see what you're doing, see what you're actually up to. If you're in the moment, you can't get bored. If you're present to reality, you can't get bored because you're not comparing. You're just here. It's all good. The other thing with boredom, if you do have boredom, is accept it and it loses its power. It's only when we resist boredom that it has power. It's only when we resist anything really that it has power. Stop resisting, be okay with what is and put your awareness on what is real. If you're feeling like you aren't doing a lot of activities, go for a walk and walking with present moment awareness of everything around you, with your breath, with your footfalls, with the sun, with the air, with the moon if it's out. Anything but living in here. <laughs> Meditation really is just a recovery system. It recovers you from the dream you found yourself lost in since you left school. Because that's what happens when we go to school. You get taught how to dream. We get taught how to live in our heads so we can become little problem solvers, efficient little machines. Meditation is the antidote. The practice of meditation is the antidote. It takes you out of your head again and back into reality. It's brilliant. But if you're getting bored, you're still in your head because that's a, that's a head thing. You're comparing someone. The following question has been written by, I think it's Kavisha. Hello, Vishrant. Thank you for your sharing today. My question is, how can we be truly helpful to our children when they suffer and seem stuck in suffering? Yeah. And it's not just your children, it's everybody. But because they're your children, you're seeing it clearly. When you love the beloved, you love everybody. And out of that love comes the empathy to take care. And in the taking care, we express that love physically. And so in loving the beloved, everything gets taken care of. And this is the way of the heart. And your children are going to suffer until they learn not to. We are all born to be programmed to suffer, all of us but we can learn not to. 
it helps to have a mature mind to be able to not suffer because it's only a mature mind that will not turn itself into a victim of people, incidences itself. And maybe at their young age, they're not mature enough to take full responsibility that they make themselves feel and it's not the world. So they will be suffering. But you can love them. And that's the best you can do for them. You love them and you let them know that they are loved. And they will continue to suffer until they learn to not suffer. This whole talk today is about not suffering and how not to. But it's difficult because we're all programmed to resist life. We're all programmed to suffer, in fact. I can't remember anywhere in my curriculum at school where they taught me how to be happy. No, 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 no. But as adults, we can develop mature minds that take responsibility, that we make ourselves feel that the world doesn't do it to us. And we can end our own suffering by ending our resistance to life. The next question is from Abhishek on YouTube. You saw Osho live dancing. How was that? <laughs> Mind blowing. That was um, uh, the type of experience that you can't even really describe. This awake being dancing and moving yet you can feel that there's nobody there. It is bizarre. And the, when he danced, he was playing with energy. He was directing energy. And so he was blowing people's minds. It was fantastic. <laughs> he was really a wonderful master. Next, Kalemu would like to ask a question. Hello again, Vish. Hello. Talking about dancing, I've, like you, I've always loved dancing. Um, since I had a bit of knee problem, I don't do it as much as I used to. But I know what you're saying, because if you're really in the dance, the eye disappears. But one yeah. of the most powerful things I ever did was, I think it was in Pune when they did Sufi dancing. And you're familiar with that when you spin around and, the, and there comes that point in Sufi dancing when you are still and it's the world that's spinning. And it's the most amazing, amazing situation. It's just like, those are like Satori moments and they're just so beautiful. Did you ever do the, the um, Sufi dancing? Yes, I did a Sufi group in Pune at the Rajneesh Mehta oh, right. uh, school, mystery school. And I did a month of whirling. We whirled every day, all day long, for a month. And yes, you become the center and the world moves around you. You become the silent place, the still, still spot. Very nice. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? And then you'd fall down at the end and the world would keep spinning around, but you were the <laughs> still spot that was lying on the floor. Because I remember that always used to say to us, because I only ever did the one session at a time, when you finish, you bow down. 
and that's you do it for about 10 seconds and that way you lose the dizziness yes we spun for way too long we'd spin for <laughs> hours and hours and hours on end yeah. and you didn't bend down you fell down <laughs> <laughs> oh that's wonderful <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing so many of the uh, parallels or synchronicities I get when I when I talk to you because when you were talking about your motorbike accident about th three years ago there was a period of about two years when I had about five or six falls and because even then I wasn't into resistance I got very little damage I got a bruised rib one time I got a frayed shoulder one time but it was like if you resist, my understanding is you get much more hurt than if you just allow it. Yeah, they reckon drunks fall over and don't hurt themselves so yeah. much because they're so loose. I've heard this too. Not that I would have ever experienced that. <laughs> oh, you're too, you're too good a little boy to have got drunk. <laughs> Look, one time in Pune, I went out and saw a guru in the he was quite a way out of Pune and I had to, it took a, I think an hour by rickshaw to get out there to see him. And I sat with him for an hour and he, and I said to him, well, I'm interested in enlightenment. He says, oh, everything's going well. You just need to go away now. So I left thinking, oh gosh, that wasn't much fun. And that night they found me, I lost my memory completely. That night they found me wandering around the city of Pune dancing wildly like I was drunk. And I hadn't had a drink. <laughs> this guy, this guy blew my mind and lit me up in such a way that I was roaming around Pune drunk. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Drunk it with drunk on life. Drunk on something, but it wasn't alcohol. It was just energy, you know. And my mind had been blown, and it was just energy. Yeah. We miss the energy when we got too, when we get too caught up in thinking, don't we? Well, that was the attraction to Osho. He had a beautiful energy field. So people would come and sit in his presence and get blown away. Unfortunately, they got addicted to the energy field, the Buddha field, and they didn't do the work on themselves, which is what they needed to do. They needed to sort out a mind that would support higher consciousness. But they didn't. A lot of them didn't. They just became addicts to the energy field. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Fish. I became an addict to the energy field. <laughs> Joined the club. <laughs> but I, I was interested in mystery school, so I did a lot of mystery school stuff. I did a lot of working on having a look at what was going on here. Yeah. But like you also, I've spent a fair amount of time with, with Tietha, or Paul Lowe, as, as he became later. I did two workshops with him in Bali, and they were really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, Paul was my, one of my main teachers. I was with him in 84 for four months in, um, in America, in Oregon, and then four months in 85 with him in America, and then five months in Italy with him in 87. It's like he was one of my major influences in my life. I have, I'm a, I've got a lot of gratitude to that man. Yeah, same here. Mm. Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. The next question is from a viewer. Should I skillfully manipulate people into suffering a little less or just <laughs> accept their suffering? 
skillfully manipulate people into suffering less. Wow. <laughs> I give people a choice. Resist life and suffer or accept life and don't. Your choice. There's no manipulation required. It's, a, it's your choice. You choose. <laughs> the next question has been written by Bhagavi on YouTube. How do I know that I have done my job well because I am an over-perfectionist and am never satisfied? I always feel like I can do more and better. How do I come out of this pattern? Okay. Okay. You have to see the perfection of life as it is. You're not going to survive anyway. None of us are. The body doesn't survive. It dies. Everything is perfect exactly as it is. We don't need to improve anything really. We are perfectly broken as we are. The need for perfectionism is, a, is going to drive you absolutely batty. If you can find a way to accept life as it is, you can find peace. But if you're trying to create perfectionism everywhere you go, you're going to find nothing but tension. You're creating this, nobody else. Have a look. Everything is actually okay as it is. And it's okay for us to fail. It's okay for us to succeed too. But it's okay for us to fail because in the big picture, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. The next question has been written by Dr. Reese. Dear Vishrant, I've had many young clients over the years in their 30s and 40s that have had health issues that lead to hardcore anxiety. Are they just scared to die young? Yeah. Yes, Dr. Reese, they are scared to die young. And if we can become willing to die, we can be free. But as long as we are clinging to our life, as a matter of fact, clinging to anything, we are actually stuck in lower consciousness. In the willingness to die, we become free. Unconditional surrender is a death of the eye. It's a death. And unconditional surrender facilitates enlightenment. As long as we're clinging to anything, the harder we cling, the more we suffer because we're offering resistance to what is. We're resisting and we're all terminal. I came to an understanding of this when I was very young because I was a martial artist and I did full contact martial arts. And if I was frightened to die or frightened of being hurt, I would never have been able to fight because fighting is dangerous. Full contact martial arts is dangerous. And so I became willing to die. And in the practice of being willing to die, I found so much freedom from fear. Because if you're willing to die, fear no longer has power. Unconditional surrender is awesome. 
that it is the key to higher consciousness and enlightenment. It is also the key to heart. So Dr. Lewis, you yourself, surrender unconditionally, wake up, be a light so others can see. <laughs> the next question has been written by Abhishek. So have you heard about Krishnamurti? What are your views? There's a few Krishnamurtis. So I, 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 didn't, I understand that Krishnamurtis, the, the Krishnamurtis are awake. I understand that. I find them a little bit too heady for me. I'm more into the practices rather than listening to people talk about spirituality or higher consciousness. For me, I recognize quite, quite early that the collecting of knowledge doesn't make your consciousness levels rise. What makes your consciousness levels rise are spiritual practices, the practice of self-inquiry, the practice of meditation, the practice of witnessing the mind, the practice of surrender, the practice of yoga. The asanas can actually open right up. Thinking about it doesn't do much. Understanding it doesn't do much. As a matter of fact, I think understanding is a big booby prize in spirituality. What works is practice. And so when it comes to Krishnamurti, I recognized that he was a, they, were, they were awake. But I wasn't that interested in just listening to stories about enlightenment, stories about spirituality. I was more interested in doing the practices because it's only in practice that we get free, not in thinking about it or understanding it. And a lot of people get trapped in this. A lot of spiritual people get trapped in this because they think that if they study and they learn about spirituality, they learn all the sutras, they study the Buddha, they study the, all of this stuff, that somehow they're going to raise their consciousness levels and get enlightened. No, that's not true. You can't educate yourself to enlightenment. You can practice surrender. You can practice openness. You can practice self-inquiry. You can practice meditation. You can practice witnessing the mind. Practice brings you home. Nothing else. The next question is from a viewer. Life is dissatisfying, but you are not dissatisfied. Does that mean you have no life? The <laughs> There's nobody here to be dissatisfied. There's nobody here. What happens when awareness finds itself? This is Satori. What happens when awareness stays on itself? The eye drops. There's no sense of anybody being here. There's talking, but there's no sense of anybody talking. There's the movement of the hand, but there's no sense of anyone moving the hand. That is all gone. It has dropped. The one that gets dissatisfied left the building.
how do you raise a child to not suffer in this life? Where would you start with this task? Well, I raised uh, three children and uh, two of them uh, were raised in the Buddha field for most of their lives. And they, they, they grew up to be wonderful people, but they still suffered because they hadn't learned to surrender yet. They hadn't learned to accept life as it is yet because they learned from their parents, but they also learned from their peers. And they learned from the, the church and they learned from the government. They learned from all these different sources, not just you. And so living in Australia, we're a very victim-orientated bunch of people. And so there's suffering because people are constantly resisting life as it is. So the children learn to resist life. It is not until they get an understanding that they are creating their own reality that they can do anything about it. You have to see that your resistance to life is creating your suffering. And you have to see that you're creating that and that you're 100% responsible for making you feel that the world doesn't make you feel and can't make you feel. You're responsible. And an immature mind isn't going to really pick that up. They're more likely going to take on the understandings and the beliefs of their peers. And growing up in a victim-orientated environment, well, they're going to suffer. That's how it is. When a child is born, it is born into suffering until it dies. But there's a possibility. And that possibility is to learn to not resist and to learn to wake up and to learn to serve heart. These are possibilities that are very, very different. And this is the way of the sannyasin. This is the way of the seeker. To wake up, to die before the body does. And be free. Is the end of suffering a gradual process or does it come instantly with awakening? No, it's a gradual process. I learned to suffer, to not suffer way before awakening. I learned how to not to suffer, gosh, when I was 19, when I, when I saw that we create our own reality by the way we think that we're responsible, that we cannot be hurt by the world. We are hurt by ourselves, by our own resistance to life, by our own victim-orientated thinking, that we do it to ourselves. You create your reality. The world is the way the world is. You can accept it or not accept it. Your choice. You can resist what is or not resist what is your choice you can suffer or not suffer your choice people say no it's not my choice they did this this is what happened to me it's everyone else's problem yeah right you make yourself feel i don't care what you say i know this for a fact you cannot make me feel that's not possible only i can do that you can do negative things you may try to harm me so what only I can make myself feel. I'm responsible. Do you consider empathy or feeling for people as a form of suffering? No, it can, not, not a form of suffering, but a form of pain. 
because if you truly are empathizing with someone, you're feeling them. You're really feeling them. And if they're in pain, you're feeling the pain too. But if you don't resist the pain, you're not suffering. It doesn't mean you don't feel the pain though. You still feel the pain. You just don't suffer because you don't resist. The more you open up, the higher in consciousness you go actually, the more sensitive you become, the more you feel. That's how it is. Because in lower consciousness, we're all closed down, we're all defended. I'm trying to not feel. But unfortunately, that keeps us locked in lower consciousness. If you really want to raise your consciousness levels, you don't stay defended, you open up. But you do tend to feel more because you're more sensitive. But if you don't resist what you feel, you don't suffer, but you will feel pain. If I make you laugh, does that mean I made you feel? <laughs> you just made me laugh. <laughs> no, I made myself laugh, but what you said was funny. <laughs> uh, you're, trying to, you're trying to be tricky. Oh dear. You see, most people do not want to take responsibility for themselves. They want to somehow blame the world or blame someone else or even blame themselves, they want to be a victim. And I'll tell you what, you have to volunteer to be a victim because bad things can happen to two people. One person decides, oh, it's everyone's fault but mine and they suffer incredibly in their resistance. And the other takes responsibility and sees this is just what is, and doesn't suffer at all. Choice, you have to choose to be a victim. Choose wisely. You have to choose to suffer because you have to choose to resist life. Pain is not suffering, it is pain. Discomfort is not suffering, it is discomfort. It is the resistance to those that creates suffering. And you're in charge of whether you resist or whether you do not. Nobody else, you. You have a look. Examine your own mind. Check this out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Find out for yourself. Watch yourself. Watch your mind. Watch what it does. And watch other people, how they create suffering for themselves. Watch it and you will see. And you'll see clearly that we create our own reality by the way we think. Your suffering or your freedom is in your hands. Never volunteer to be a victim. Life is just the way it is. It's up to you. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here.